the innovation economy and the world is so dependent on computing and technology. We are here to educate, inspire, and empower teachers. We need to be, you know, giving more students the opportunity to really learn the skills they need to contribute. The topic for today's podcast is broadening participation in K-12 computing, a conversation with Dr. Carol Fletcher, Director, Expanding Pathways in Computing, also known as EPIC. Unpacking Education is brought to you by avid.org. Avid believes every learner can develop student agency. To learn more about Avid, visit their website at avid.org. Welcome to Unpacking Education, the podcast where we explore current issues and best practices in education. I'm Rena Clark. I'm Paul Beckerman. And I'm Winston Benjamin. We are educators. And we're here to share insights and actionable strategies. Education is our passport to the future. Our quote for today is from Susan Wojcicki. She is the CEO of YouTube. Learning to code makes kids feel empowered, creative, and confident. If we want our young women to retain these traits into adulthood, a great option is to expose them to computer programming in their youth. And I'm going to have Winston start us off. I have lots of feelings about this, but I'm going to let Winston start. <laughs> yeah, no, I have feelings myself. I think part there's two parts to what I'm thinking about in this quote. The first part is like, continuing to allow young women to be aggressive, to be leaders, to feel confident and empowered is a different thing, right? Like schools sometimes remove that from our young ladies as they participate through the system. So I think that's the first part where I'm like, wow, that's a really powerful conversation to have. How do we support our young women to have a voice? Second thing is it's also cool that think about women having a voice in this, this internet space. Because as we think, there's sometimes it's dominated by men. So how do we allow um, our young women to feel safe and empowered to be in a space that's usually men, male dominated? So I think that's an important aspect of it. How do we support our young ladies to feel confident to push against the norm? No, I appreciate those in insights there, Winston. I think this equity piece is a huge piece of this uh, quote. And then when you look at the words empowered, creative, and confident, why wouldn't we want that for all of our students, right? I mean, that when, when I think of being a teacher, those are the things that I want to instill in my students. And if they can walk through my door at the end of the day, empowered, creative, and confident, wow, I have really done my job and given them the voice to become that person. And I think it's cool, too, to think of computer science as a gateway to get to that point. I think it's an underutilized gateway. And I'm looking forward to our conversation today to, to kind of think about some of those ways that we can use that to on-ramp our students to those skills. Forward to talking more about this as well. If you've been a long-time listener, I'm very passionate about computer science, especially access for students prior to getting into middle school or those middle ages and especially women and our historically underrepresented students. So let's get started. I'm really excited to have with us today Dr. Carol Fletcher, the Director of Expanding Pathways in Computing. Welcome. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So just to get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to your passion for computer science? So I am a former middle school science teacher. Uh, and, um, I, I decided I really wanted to get into teacher training as a lifetime career professional development. So, um, I went and got my doctorate in um, science education and for about 15 years worked in math and science teacher professional development at the university of Texas at Austin. And then my kids were going into high school And my husband and I wanted them to take a computer science class. Uh, We live in Austin. It's a very, you know, high tech hub. My husband actually has a CS degree. Uh, And we, when they went to school, we found out really, we only offered one class at their high school. And I was like, well, gosh, that's not that great. How do we compare to other schools and districts around uh, Central Texas? And I found out we were actually doing way better than most. And at the time, only about 25% of high schools in the state offered a single computer science class. And um, so I asked two questions. Who's training new computer science teachers and who's um, training existing computer science teachers? And I found out the answers were no one and nobody. (laughs) And so I said, well, you know, we had this big statewide network of professional development in math and science. And I said, well, you know, why don't we just kind of grow a new component to that uh, in computer science and begin training our math and science teachers in computer science. And that's how we launched We Teach CS, which is our professional development program at Epic and at UT Austin uh, to train people so that they could be computer science teachers. Uh, And when when we interviewed area administrators, they all said, you know, the reason they weren't offering classes is because they didn't have trained and certified teachers. Um, so that was our very first goal was we're going to focus on helping teachers upskill with the content knowledge they needed to actually pass the certification exam and begin teaching computer science um, professionally. I appreciate you ex- establishing the landscape because that has been one thing that I'm as I've worked through and start to learn more about computer science and the need for science in a diverse way or computer science in a diverse way. I'm always interested that you say there's a lack of teachers who can teach this. So my question to you is, why should we bring teaching computer um, computing into the K-12 um, space? Right. Um, can you explain why and what values that brings to the um, K-12 schooling? Well, uh, as Rena mentioned, you know, it's really you cannot escape technology. It is really uh, permeates every aspect now of our not only our professional lives, but our personal lives. Mm-hmm. And. Um, it's simply we're failing students if we don't give them the opportunity to learn these skills. Uh, and it's not because we want everyone to go get a CS degree. It's because this, the, the innovation economy and the world is so dependent on computing and technology that there are the, going to be the haves and the have-nots. And the haves are going to be the people who know how to leverage technology to do what they want to do. And the have-nots are going to be those that it gets done to them. Uh, So I feel like we need to be, you know, giving more students the opportunity to really learn the skills they need to contribute, uh, not 
not just as workers, but as citizens uh, uh, in, you know, the 21st century. Um, and it needs to be a variety of students. For a long time, we kind of took the attitude that, oh, well, computer science is for those kids, those, you know, some kids who have this special innate interest or talent. And um, that's simply an untenable uh, mental mindset to hold in uh you know, 2022 and beyond. It's really, if we don't have everybody in the game on this, uh, giving everybody an opportunity, uh, we're really just as a country kind of uh, entering the fight with two hands tied behind our back. Like you can't, you can't sideline 50% of the population from these kinds of fields and then expect that you're going to be competitive. It just isn't going to work very well. So I like, you know, that you talk about the have and have nots and we've We've talked about it in the past as far as computer access, but now you're talking about a whole nother level. This is accessing the ability to participate in the development of that industry. Um, you've kind of answered my question already as far as why we need to do that, but what's kind of the lay of the land right now as far as, you know, where do we need to broaden this participation? So, um, so each year we publish a uh, report, uh, an organization that I run called the Expanding um, Computing Education Pathways, or ESEP Alliance, uh, along with the Computer Science Teacher Association and Code.org. We publish a report called the State of Computer Science Education every year, and it looks at every single state. Uh, how many schools offer computer science, which schools are offering computer science, how many students are taking it, what students are taking it, et cetera. And so what we know is that only about half of the schools in the country, half of high schools in the country offer a single computer science class. Um, we know that um, even in schools in which computer science is offered, often uh, enrollment of women and students of color uh, students of uh, uh, um, economically disadvantaged students, those enrollments are all lower than um, their white and Asian male counterparts. Um, and so, you know, we've just got a lot of work to do. Uh, and our biggest challenge from a geographic perspective tends to be much more so in our rural communities where teachers simply don't have access to a lot of the external resources that could help them upskill, or they have such small schools that they're already teaching five preps, <laughs> you know? So we have to think of some creative ways of supporting access for our rural communities as well. Um, but, you know, we, that starts very early on and then that just, that very small funnel just gets smaller and smaller as you leave high school and go to college. And as you leave college and go on to, to professional sectors, that lack of diversity, is really impairing our um, our entrepreneurs, our innovators, and our country in from being able to solve some pretty wicked, complex challenges that we need, like a, a wide diversity of brains working on to solve. Yeah, I, I love looking through the lens of problem solving and why this is so important, and how computing allows us to solve problems, especially as we look future forward. You talked a little bit about access in rural areas. And so far, are there, do you know of any big picture policies or actions that might help us accomplish, you know, bringing in more people into K-12 computing in all areas? Well, I think, you know, from a big 
uh, picture kind of a state policy landscape. Um, really states, we, we use a framework we call CAPE, Capacity for Access to Participation in and Experiences of Equitable CS Education. So if we want to solve this problem, we have to look at the whole ecosystem. We have to look at what's our capacity for equitable CS education, what's, what does access look like, what is participation, and then what are the experiences look like? Do ever, does every kid feel like they belong? So one of the first things that a state, that state leaders could do, and even district leaders could do, is look at what is their capacity and how is it distributed in their school or district uh, or in their state? Do they know who is trained and certified to teach and where those teachers are located? Um, do they have disparities based on geography or based on the demographics of the school or district? The likelihood is yes, but if you don't actually ask the question and investigate, you, don't, you can't identify what the problem is and then move on. And so unlike in other subjects like math and English language arts, where we have tons of data and, uh, you know, computer science has been kind of not really on the radar screen um, until most, more recently of a lot of policymakers. And so many states weren't even collecting data. They couldn't even tell you consistently what a computer science class was from high school to high school. So we're working in this ESEP alliance that I run with 23 states. We're working on building that data capacity. So actually collecting data about who's teaching computer science, who's taking computer science, and what do those people, you know, look like and who do they represent is one big start to, to identifying if you've got disparities and gaps, and then you can figure out what to do about it. Um, we've also found some states that um, when they have, um, you know, made an investment in building teacher capacity, uh, they've really made a difference in access and participation. Uh, and most pre-service teacher programs don't prepare teachers uh, with baseline knowledge in, in uh, programming or computer science. So it will take an investment in professional development uh, to, you know, just build the workforce to do this. We have to think of STEM teachers and computer science teachers as part of the STEM workforce pipeline, not as this separate thing that's in education, and then you have everybody else who's a STEM worker. You know, they are the foundation, uh, the keystone to any robust STEM workforce. So I appreciate you identifying some of the big pictures in the larger school district and also the systematic policy um, area. But one thing that I wanted to do is that on an individual, right? My parents were not computer people. <laughs> so that limited my time that I got access to computers as well. So one question that I have, what are some of the strategies that people can enact as, on an individual level that should to um, broaden their their understanding and broaden their participation in through K through 12 computing, right? Eliminating that bias of who belongs, and who doesn't and all of those other. So we've done some really interesting research uh, here in Texas where we we looked at, um, we have about 5 million students in Texas, uh, one and a half million students in high school. So we looked at every single student in high school and uh, looked at what are the best predictors of whether a student would take a computer science course in high school. 
And so we looked at factors like, you know, gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, immigration status, uh, all of those kind of things. And then we also looked at when did they take Algebra 1. The number one predictor of taking a computer science course in high school is not race, ethnicity, socioeconomics. Is did that student take Algebra 1 before high school by eighth grade? That's the number one factor. And then when we pair that with data about the pathways that students are taking when they start middle school, which would put them on a pathway to taking algebra by eighth grade. And we've worked with an organization called E3 Alliance here in Texas that has done this data for the entire state. What we see is students in fifth grade, they're they're kind of making a choice in sixth grade. Do they go into advanced math or not? This is kind of a long answer, no, but please, it'll get please, to this point please. soon. This is important. So, so in fifth grade, they decide, am I going to take advanced math in sixth grade? In order to get to eighth grade algebra, kids typically have to start on that pathway in sixth grade, right? And what we find is even the most capable students are not necessarily ending up in eighth grade algebra. So you look at their fifth grade math scores. All of those kids that scored, let's say, the top 40% on the state math test should have ended up in eighth grade algebra. But guess who doesn't end up in eighth grade algebra? Black, brown, and poor kids. Mm. Why? Sometimes maybe they're, they're, it could be that they are purposefully being pushed out. That's a possibility. They're being discouraged from taking that. Um, it could be that it, that, they have what we call and what we did in my district. I was a school board member for 18 years. Uh, when I saw this data, I thought, surely that's not my district. And then when we actually looked at my district, we found out it was the same situation. And it was because we had what we would call an opt-in policy for advanced math instead of a default opt-out. So whose parents are making sure that those kids are getting it's into advanced math in sixth grade. It's people with a college degree and people who have, you know, who are teachers who know what, how the system works. And it's not your, your kids whose parents don't have a college degree or don't know, you know, how to, how the system is played out. And so in central Texas, several school districts actually changed the policy and turned it into an opt-out, which said, if you scored in the top 40%, you are defaulted, no matter what, into advanced math in sixth grade. And we have found after three years of this work, we have almost completely closed the gaps in who's in algebra by eighth grade. And it didn't cost a penny to do it. Wednesday, we got I know, yo, I'm like hyped. Got, I'm like, yes. I am so yes. hyped. This is like a strategy <laughs> that could literally like tomorrow be, wow. Absolutely. I'm, I'm taking notes. I, I, this yes. is, uh, so every parent, every teacher should be interrogating that kind of policy that on its face doesn't seem like, you know, some kind of systemic racist issue, but the outcomes we're seeing is perpetuating these inequities. And then it's no surprise that we get kids that aren't prepared for success in these rigorous courses in high school, because you have basically marginalize them much earlier on so that they aren't ready to compete with their peers who 
were in these advanced classes. If I if I wanted to find this data to make sure I have it when presenting maybe to people in the district, where might I find that? Or do I just need to historically look through our own data? Well, I have a slide deck that kind of summarizes <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, this. I don't, we don't necessarily have it up on our website and it's on the E3 website, but I, I couldn't point it to. But if you wanted to follow up with me, I can direct you to the, the research that kind of combines the work we did about CS being tied to Algebra 1 and then really the bulk of the work done by the E3 Alliance to show these changes. Is somebody went to the E3, would somebody find it on the E3 Alliance website if they looked around? They have a lot of stuff on their website, so it might be kind of hard to find, but the E3 Alliance website would be a great place to start. It's about the, the making math matter. If you go to the E3 Alliance website, You'll find it there, but they have so much great work on there that, um, I, you know, it's not as easy for me. It's easier if we I gave you an actual link to something, which we're not going to say online. E3Alliance.org is the website. Uh, actually, there's one thing I wanted to say to that, to your point. And I, and I think it's so one of the things that I noticed about your statement was it takes away the implicit bias conversation where people, the individual person is doing an act to prevent a child from getting access, right? And it allows for a recognition of the purpose, right? Where there's no resistance in that, right? Like, oh, I'm not a bad person. How dare you, right? Where it's like, no, teacher, it's not about you. It's about the system that is preventing students. So I, I really appreciate that approach in responding to, the, to an inequity that's created by the system, not the individual teacher who doesn't support a child or not. So I really like that. That. Well, we can't continue to think that we can take systems that were never built for everyone to have access to computing education and achieve that goal without changing the system. We, I mean, that's just the definition of insanity. Uh, the system is operating exactly as it was built to operate, which sorts students certain students would be expected to go on to to get these you know these opportunities and others are not so we have to change that mental model as well as the system if we think we're going to actually see a large scale transition in the kind of positive experiences of computing that every kid needs and then the other thing i would say as far as like what can individuals do and it's related to this also is Many people think use math as a gatekeeper to access to computer science. Like, oh, if you're good at math, then you should go do, you'll like computer science or you should go into computer science. We advocate flipping that, that model. We should be using computer science as an on-ramp to success in math. Why? Kids love doing this stuff. Do they love math? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily. <laughs> so we better start figuring out how to put some cheese on that broccoli. If we want to get a broader <laughs> range of students feeling like, like if I can go and I can create a, a little simple little video game and I have to understand what a linear function is to get my little sprite to move from X to Y on this video game, you know, then I see like there's a reason to learn math because I can I can be creative and it can be fun. Then I might actually think, yeah, I could do math. I should do math. I could be good at that. 
So we've got to flip that kind of mental model once again of math is not a gatekeeper to CS. CS needs to be the on-ramp to get more kids, give them a reason to learn mathematics um, and feel a sense of confidence in their ability and a purpose uh, for, for learning mathematics. And I know you've done a lot of work in trying to expand pathways into computer science. You want to talk a little bit about your work with Epic? Um, you know, what is it? What's your mission? What are you about? Yeah, so, you know, Epic, we're really about democratizing computer science education. We're, we are here to educate, inspire, and empower teachers and other educators in K-12 so that they can help more students, you know, have access to participate in and have positive experiences in CS. And we do that. A big part of that is our professional development program called We Teach CS. Uh, we do a lot of work in Texas, but we have partnerships with multiple states across the country, particularly to help teachers gain this, the content knowledge they need to become CS teachers. Um, but we also do research, like I was talking about the Algebra One research. Um, we also do uh, a lot of work in policy advocacy, and so spending a lot of time helping folks to understand um, how we can leverage both big P policy at a state level, but also little P policy, like um, what we were just talking about in their own school district, to um, open up more opportunities for, for computer science uh, learning for kids uh, in K-12. Uh, so we put all of those together for, for EPIC, and we're very fortunate to be housed at the Texas Advanced Computing Center at UT Austin, which is um, actually the most powerful supercomputer in academia in the world, is housed at TAC. Uh, we're surrounded by a lot of uh, very um, bright and committed computer scientists and data scientists and data visualization experts who are also very much believe in and understand the mission of broadening participation in computer science. Uh, and they really support the work that we do. All right. I appreciate everything that you've just shared with us. I think we've gotten a lot of things out of this conversation. So now it's time for my favorite section toolkit. What's in your toolkit? What are you walking away with today's conversation guys? What are you putting in your toolkit? Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. What's in the toolkit? What's in the toolkit? Check it out. I heard a lot of tools. Um, you know, the one is if you can check locally with your school district, with your school board, with your school leadership, and find out what the policies are. Is it an opt-in? Is it an opt-out? Um, if it is you know, an opt-in program, perhaps push a little bit on that, push back and, and see if maybe that can be flipped. Because what I'm hearing from this conversation is that is a very actionable, doable, and inexpensive way to start moving the needle on this. Mm -hmm. Totally agree with that. And then for just individuals or maybe whole districts looking to provide more professional learning or just access to resources, especially for beginning teachers that are new to computing. I know AVID, we have our summer institute and one of our communities of practice that's sponsored by Amazon Future Engineer is our computer science 
for the content classroom. So if you're going to SI and it's a little ways away or just doing a pathway or anything else, that is one of the offerings that AVID has. Um, just to, And it's a real true introduction to computational thinking and just the very beginnings of integrating computer science. In addition... Actually, I was just playing around. Amazon Future Engineer has some really great stuff on top of, you know, we got code.org, um, CSTA, but Amazon Future Engineer has some great resources. Um, and also they provide scholarships if, you, if you're a high school teacher for a lot of different students that is also internship. One of the things I like, y'all, this one is fun. I think I mentioned it before, but do you ever wonder how you get your packages? Like, how does that work? So they do this one where it's like you have to design, you get a, you send a package to your friend for their birthday and you like figure all of that out. And there's some virtual um, field trips you can do with some of the distribution centers. And it reminds me just like, like, this is what's happening. So how can we be a part of this? It's interesting. And it's relatable for students. That sounds fun. Yeah. One of the things that I think is a, a, a that I'm going to put away in my toolkit is expanding pathways and computing. Epic. I think this is a really um, excellent way to reach out to um, if you're a district leader or someone who's just listening, trying to figure out how to do it. One, you have a program that's doing good work and you potentially have someone you can reach out in Carol to just say, hey, what are some of the ways that I can think differently and flip that conversation of how do I give students access using um, computer science instead of the opposite direction and that limits students access. So I think that was a, a really good toolkit for you, for us to walk away with. Absolutely. Would you like to uh, add something to the toolkit, Carol? Um, sure. Yeah. You know, if you, if you're looking for those kind of resources, particularly professional development, if you go to weteachcs.org, that is our professional development uh, program. Uh, and if we if the, we don't have something that you that is kind of online uh, obvious that's of interest to you, happy to talk to folks about how we can support um, your unique interests. We customize professional development for states and school districts all the time, uh, and happy to support folks all the way from the novice. Uh, to advanced uh, computer scientists and uh, artificial intelligence and everything in between. Fantastic. And with that, we've got lots of stuff in our toolkit now. It's kind of bulging. Now we're going to jump into our one thing. It's time for that one thing. One thing. All right, Winston, what's your one thing today? Oh, I'm dealing with a lot right now because I'm frustrated with the world of computer science. I'm not going to lie to you. So there's a, a, a guy who did a who used a program and designed a computerized AI wrapper by the name of FN Mecca. And the reason why I'm thinking about this is Carol made a statement that says either you are the one that's participating with the doing or it's being done to you. And I just feel like there's potentially some problematic things if you're just using a computer algorithm to design a wrapper. What kind of stereotypes, what kind of potential biases might come through in that? So as kids are listening, this person has this computerized wrapper has like a nine, nine million followers of some silly numbers in terms of kids following. So what's going on? How do we help kids get engaged with this world? Because it's being done to them. 
I'm just going to jump in because that was my one thing as well. Just don't have it done to you. And the, the way to not have it done to you is to be part of it. And we can start that as early as, I mean, honestly, they have baby books, y'all, for for CS. So, you know, go to a baby shower. I'm telling you, baby, co baby. Anyways, give, there's toys. You can start <laughs> early, y'all. You can start early. So, you know, with our pre-K, especially pre-K five students, provide opportunities and on-ramps because we want them to be the ones solving the problems. And computing is the way that that's going to be done. I love it. And, you know, there's two things that I'm hanging on that that Carol said. One is that we are in the innovation economy. That really sticks to me because if we're going to be competitive in this economy, we have to be innovative. I was just watching a, an online video about um, computational thinking, and essentially they were saying that computational thinking is about creativity. That's like almost the most important thing. You have to be creative problem solvers to make that happen. Um, so I think that innovation economy is a key pivot point. And I also love the statement, put some cheese on that broccoli. <laughs> That's like, that was like a great statement. <laughs> make it, make it something kids want, you know? Do you want to, do you want to give us your one thing, Carol? What's, what's your, your big final statement on this topic, even though that's impossible? Well, um, you know, I'd say computing is really a ladder to economic mobility for so many kids. And, um, you know, I think in particular, when I think of, of AVID, I think of particularly the kinds of kids that AVID programs are most likely to serve are, are kinds of kids that we want to give these opportunities to and many times they've been excluded because they have not been necessarily kids that, you know, were always getting a hundred on their, on their state math exams or something. So I think the idea of, of, you know, CS really being a ladder to economic mobility is something that um, we need to take seriously. And we are doing kids a disservice if we, if we don't acknowledge that. And I just want to thank you, Dr. Fletcher, for joining us today. Um, I know I appreciate the conversation and learned something that I'm going to take an action step. So I hope our listeners were able to take something away. Um, and I always think, like, who knows which student of ours could potentially innovate a way or collaborate and answer a complex question. And I need some people to take care of me when I'm mm. older. So who's, <laughs> exactly. I don't want it to be, I want it to be a diverse group solving those problems. Yep. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, and we appreciate all the work you're doing. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Unpacking Education. We invite you to visit us at avidopenaccess.org where you can discover resources to support student agency, equity, and academic tenacity to create a classroom for future-ready learners. We'll be back here next Wednesday for a fresh episode of Unpacking Education. And remember, go forth and be awesome. Thank you for all you do. You make a difference.